Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Fansom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Storybox podcast. If you don't know who I am, my name is Jay Phantom and I'm delighted that you guys have decided to turn up today. It is going to be not only a big episode today, but it's going to be a huge, huge week for amazing guests. Uh, I've decided to start this week off with someone who I have followed for quite some time and I've been helped personally by her work and she has a huge following on social media. Her name is Dr. Nicole Lipera. Now, for those of you that don't know who Dr. Nicole is, you are in for a real treat. Now, Dr. Nicole is a clinical psychologist. She often, her story is she often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. She wanted more for her patients and for herself. She began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the interdisciplinary tools necessary to heal themselves. After experiencing the life-changing results herself, she began to share what she learned with others, and soon the holistic psychologist was born. Now, um, some of you might actually follow her on, on Instagram. I do. I've been following her for quite some time. Her work is is extremely helpful. So if you enjoy her her work on social media, you're definitely going to enjoy this conversation. But more than that, Dr. Nicole is ready to share her much requested protocol with the world in her new book, How to Do the Work. She offers both a manifesto for self-healers as well as an essential guide to creating a more vibrant, authentic, and joyful life. Drawing on the latest research from a diversity of scientific fields and healing modalities, Dr. Nicole helps us recognize how adverse experiences and trauma in childhood live with us, resulting in whole body dysfunction, activating harmful stress responses that keep us stuck, engaging in patterns of codependency, emotional immaturity, and trauma bonds. Unless addressed, 
These self-sabotaging behaviors can quickly become cynical, leaving people feeling unhappy, unfulfilled, and unwell. In How to Do the Work, Dr. Nicole offers readers the support and tools that will allow you as the reader to break free from destructive behaviors to reclaim and recreate your life. Nothing short of a paradigm shift itself. This is a celebration of empowerment that will forever change the way we approach mental and uh, self-care in terms of overall health. And my goodness, this book has been praised by some very, very well-known names. Uh, Doc, uh, Lewis Howes, for example, Mel Robbins, you've got Gabby Bernstein uh, and so many others that absolutely love Dr. Nicole's uh, words of wisdom. She has a huge fan base on social media, 6 million views, 200 plus Facebook fans and over 3 million, 3.5 million people follow her on Instagram. She's a, an extremely kind, humble human being. I love this conversation and I hope that you guys get something from it. So please, uh, just a quick reminder, if you do get something from it, share it around to your friends and your family. This one's all about trauma and how we can help manage it, how we can help heal from it. Uh, and it's a very valuable conversation. So share it around. And if you do get something from it as well, leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts as well. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want, you can watch the full episode now. Uh, on YouTube. Links are in the show notes as well. Alrighty, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to learn how to do the work and also learn about the amazing story of Dr. Nicole Lepera. So let's dive into the story box today, shall we? Thank you so much for having me, Jay. I have uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a long period of time. To be honest with you, I didn't really sleep last night because I was that excited, <laughs> if I can say that. Um, but before we dive into your backstory, how you got started doing all this amazing work, I have one particular question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is, what does success look like for you? I actually love, Jay, that you ask each guest that because I think what you're highlighting is how different right? That is the meaning that we all give to success. Um, there is no universal. So what it means for me is be, living in purpose, being connected to the things that light me up, the things that I'm naturally gifted or good at, and sharing obviously those gifts and talents with the world. When was the moment for you that you realized that success was living with purpose? Has it been this gradual thing over time that you sort of realized it? Or is there a catalyst moment for you? I'm smiling really big when you ask that. Um, <laughs> if you would have asked me this question in my 20s, I would have fought you tooth and nail defending the fact that I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have that chip. It skipped me. Nothing lights me up inside. Yeah, I'm, I do a job. I have a job. I do the thing. One might even say I'm successful at the thing. Mm -hmm. Though I didn't really connect with that concept of purpose inside. Um, so it wasn't something that was part of my life. It was a very gradual, for me, it took of a shedding, shedding of all of these layers of conditioning that was keeping me from that connection, from that space within mm. that one might call is purposeful or, or is my fire inside. Mm. So speaking about that, why do you personally believe that you would, would have fought back in your twenties about not having a purpose? What, what was like, what was it like for you? Not uh, I guess, thinking that you didn't have a purpose in life. 
it, it, it didn't trouble me in, in a way that it might come across, like hearing me say that. Um, if I talked, when I was sharing my, my experiences, my life um, with my friends that was around me, I was hearing really similar reports of the state of affairs. As I you know, exited my 20s, entered my 30s, as I would share with my friends, there was a lot of conversation of life stress of being exhausted, of living for the weekend, of can't wait for a vacation. Let's be honest, who really likes this life adult thing anyway? Um, so I had no reason to call it into question or to think that I was missing something, being this purposeless abyss. Mm -hmm. From the outside, I had checked boxes. I had achievements, if you will. I had graduated. I had my license. I had a practice. I was able to live in whatever city I chose. So there was a bit of a disconnect between the feeling of that fulfillment and living in the way that I was. Um, though, like I said, it, I didn't, I didn't know. It didn't mm. occur to me because everyone around me was reporting that same sort of unfulfilling, repetitive cycle of life. Mm. To be honest with you, like, I can relate to that because I didn't really know that I had a purpose up until like very recently, in fact, and. Because growing up, I thought my purpose was in what I did, not. And so when people come up to me and ask me, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up, Jay? And I'd immediately say, I want to be this. And immediately my brain went to, if I didn't do that, then I wasn't living with a, a purpose at all. So now I kind of love having this conversation with people that we've got to distinguish between the I am versus I do. And what I say now to people, and I love this, is who you are right now that is purposeful your character your values your beliefs everything about you that is a purpose you were made that way what you do is the afterthought that is just a benefit of you being able to live in this life you take who you are into what you get to do so what what would you say for a young person uh, in your experience that is struggling with their purpose right now. They don't even know uh, what they want to do, who they are. They're really struggling with that. What would you say to them? I love, I love you know, thinking in terms of this because I do think we put a lot of pressure around this idea of purpose and channeling it into the doing of things. So similarly, here I was, always knew I was going to be a psychologist as long as I can remember. So from the outside, I think in a lot of ways I did appear in purpose, um, though the connection I had and the way that I was presenting in terms of that work um, wasn't in my fullness or wasn't in my authenticity. And I also love the distinction between, yes, I am very public now. I, I speak to a large group of people. Um, I share my story that my hope is that it impacts um, people to create change in their life. However, you know, just to all the listeners out there, you don't have to have that scale of, of purpose. For some of us, our purpose, like you're beautifully illustrating, is just living as a self-expressed being, affecting the world around us because we are. The energies we bring into our daily happenings, our relationships, and just the world as we exist in it is purposeful. Um, so I, I love that. So to anyone who you know feels the pressure to find purpose and maybe doesn't feel connected, the, found, the pathway back because um, I believe that we all have that space inside, that intuitive inner knowing, as we like to call it, that wisdom. Um, however, many of us have become so disconnected from that place or so distrustful of what it, we hear when it speaks 
that we're not living in that space. So we might feel disconnected from purpose or unsure of even what our intuition signals are. Mm -hmm. Um, The road back is the road of reconnection with the self. And for some of us, that means learning how to safely inhabit this physical body. Um, For many of us, our bodies have not felt safe based on experiences that we've accumulated over a lifetime. If you're like me, I spent much of my time disconnected from my body, living dissociatively, as we call it. I used to call it my spaceship. I couldn't tell you what my body wanted or needed in any given moment because I was so disconnected from it. Mm. For others, the pathway back is reconnecting with our emotional self. In our body lives sensations that map onto emotions, which carry messages for how we're doing in the world and how we're reacting or responding. Mm. Furthermore, some of us aren't connected to that spiritual essence because we're disconnected in all of the ways I just described. So we want to rebuild that reconnection. I talk about the the greatest pathway being through consciousness, through Mm. consciously learning again how to cultivate safety and connection with our bodies, with our emotional wisdom that lives in there, and ultimately with that spirit self or that essence that's behind it all. I want to unpack that in a moment, but before I do that, I want to go back a little bit to how you grew up. So what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned? How was your childhood like? Like, did you grow up in a stable home? That sort of thing, if you're comfortable with sharing. Absolutely. I think stability. Interestingly enough, Jay, you picking that word, Mm. um, consistency and stability was a big part of how my family appeared. I had the mom and dad that lived in the home. My mom stayed home and raised three children. Um, My brother is 18 years older than me. My sister is 15. So they were already well into their teenage years when I came along. Um, Though my sister was still living in the home. Um, My mom was home and, you know, cared for me during the day. My dad went to work, very stable, nine to five. Quite literally, Jay, left at the same time every day, came home at the same time every day. Such that when he didn't come home at the same time every day, we would wonder where's right. that, yeah. right? It was that level of consistency. However, on an emotional side of things, there was a lot of stress in the home. There was chronic medical illnesses. Um, my sister in particular had s- severe health problems over the course of her development. So my mom was constantly tending to her and caring for her, activating her own stress response. So stress was a constant, a common family mantra um, that you would hear LaPera saying is always something. And that something could be, like I said, a very real you know, medical issue that my family is tending to, or could be the trash that didn't get picked up at the time it was supposed to. So mm-hmm. stress was really predominant in my household. Um, again, with very limited abilities to cope. We were all kind of activated. When one person became stressed, the unit became stressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, as a child entering into that system, felt really overwhelming and felt really probably scary in many ways. Um, And having caregivers that were just simply unavailable, they literally were putting out fires or so they thought to me emotionally. And that's where I kind of trace back to the beginnings of that tendency that I described earlier to disconnect. Granted, I felt the anxiety. I was a little girl, scared of bumps in the night, fearful it was a robber, fearful if my dad didn't come home as expected at 5.30. I carried that anxiety and gradually I started to disconnect 
from it and distance myself, I left on my spaceship. Mm. So what did that stress, how did you really manage that stress as a teenager? Because I know from firsthand, stress for me led into panic attacks Mm. and, and depression, anxiety, all that sort of stuff. But it can even go further back to trauma. But I want to sort of, for you, how did you manage that kind of stress? So as a child, I believe the dissociation began, began to creep in. I also discovered quite early that I was good, namely at two things, particularly good at school and at sports. So they became my outlet, achieving in school, doing the homework, pressuring myself to get the A's. Similarly, I played softball. So I was very active every night of the week. I was practicing. I was playing games, et cetera. So for me, that I understand now was a channel, a way that I could feel not only better because I was releasing that anxiety, which is an actual energy in our body mapped onto hormonal changes. That was my outlet. And that just so happened to be the place where my mom was able to be the most present. She loved softball. She loved watching me excel. She loved when I got A's and I got celebrated. So now I had the byproduct of connection with mom. So I kept channeling and I kept channeling. When I was around 13, I then met drinking and smoking marijuana. I I met pot and I discovered that for me, that helped me stay away from those feelings. So I continued to use those up through my my 20s, really, um, as a form of uh, external way to disconnect. Um, so then that kind of set in and that became my way to continue to distance, to continue to distance myself. Um, and before I knew it, I was just generally living in that state of disconnection by the time I entered my 20s, unbeknownst to me. Of course, all of this was just happening outside my awareness. Um, I just thought I felt better when I had a little alcohol or when I smoked a little pot because um, my anxiety didn't feel as bad. Mm. And when was the moment for you that you realized that you actually wanted to become a psychologist and did you feel like you would be connecting more to yourself if you did become a psychologist because you're learning about the brain the mind the body all these techniques and and tactics sort of i guess what psychologists do is help you reconnect so did you is that the reason why for you as i i can't remember a moment it just always was what i wanted to be whenever you start to get asked and the way i understand it is i was so fascinated with with people, namely around, and this all makes sense when you understand my story, the way I'm describing it now, Mm -hmm. namely around what made people similar to me, those I felt connected to, and more specifically, why I felt so different from everyone around me. And as many of us do, and in a seek, so yes, in a Mm -hmm. seeking to understand myself, um, my way in was to seek to understand the mind of a human or the minds of other humans. So probably by young adulthood, I loved reading. I would pick up psychological books, young adult books. And then that translated into in my high school, there was one psychology class that was offered. And I couldn't wait till senior year when I could take it. And then of course I entered into Cornell as a declared, I was one of those weirdos, a declared psychology major. I think, like I said, it was my curiosity um, based around understanding people, again, at an attempt to understand why I felt so different (laughs) and of course how to mitigate that and feel a little less different and a little more connected to people. So other strategies that you learned when you first started in psychology, are they still the same 
methods that you use today to help people actually reconnect back to themselves or have they changed? So I think the conceptual understanding um, that I got from a lot of my trainings, my psychoanalytic one in particular, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that not only is a big word, I think it's a scary word for some people, it's the couch, you know, think of Sigmund Freud and smoking the pipe in the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a lot of important concepts there, namely that the past affects us some ways around how the past affects us in the now. Um, I also learned through the gold standard that you'll learn in really any graduate program here in the States for treatment is cognitive behavioral therapy. So essentially that's based on the premise that if you change your thoughts, you change essentially your responses in the world. Um, Yes, that's a big part. I talk a whole chapter in my book about the power of belief, the power of thought. The one limitation though in that, and I think it can be a point of frustration for a lot of us, especially those listening that are like, "Mm, mantras don't work. I can't think myself healthy. They're right. Because we're missing a big part of the equation um, in the traditional sense. And this is why I felt so limited in that practice, so disempowered. We're missing the whole human body. And all of the effects that different dysregulations in our bodies can play in how we feel in our minds. We're also missing, or so I believe, the whole essence of us, the whole spiritualness of the human experience. Um, At a time, it was in psychology. That's what psyche means, study of the soul. Um, Mm -hmm. But as we kind of marched down the scientific path, that got removed. So again, not honoring the full holistic human mind, body, and soul, um, I feel was a limitation. So I took pieces, um, that I do think are really impactful and are part of the story. And what I believe I, or what I hope I've done is I filled in the rest. Mm. I want to get to your book in a moment because I feel like there's, there's a lot to it, uh, there, but the, the soul aspect, the spiritual aspect, what happened with you that you sort of realized, okay, this is my spiritual practice. This is what I believe in. And this is what I want to teach. What happened for you? So again, a decade ago, my God was science. If it was documented, if it was measurable, um, I believed in it. And if it wasn't, which anything spiritual isn't, (laughs) I didn't. So I, again, very much would have fought you tooth and nail. I was raised um, Catholic. So I had some complicated feelings about, you know, that sect of religion. And again, this isn't a conversation, in my opinion, about religion. Um, What I believe this is a conversation is in the essence that connects all of us, regardless of the religion that we are, that humanness, that individuality that I think spans all of that. Um, So for me, again, it was beginning my healing, hitting that bottom, if you will, which I term now my dark night of the soul, um, which I believe is an accum- different for each of us, but it's typically an accumulation of either physical or psychological symptoms that result from a lack of alignment with that soul self. Um, again, you wouldn't have heard me using this exact language when it was happening. I just felt terrible and knew something needed to change. And as I built foundations, as I reconnected with my body, as I began to safely spend more time in my body and turning inward, because for a lot of us, that's the most intimidating space to to enter, then I began to have these realizations. Then I began to reconnect again with that-ness, that essence um, Mm -hmm. that was me. So it was a very gradual process. And now, of course, you do hear me 
acknowledging it. And I do have a very active practice where if I can more or less each day, I do find a moment where I'm reconnecting with me. Mm. Do you ever get sick and sick and tired of teaching this stuff at all to people? I love this. I could talk about this and I live it. Um, I think a reason why I remain so connected and, and I don't necessarily tire is because I'm, I'm doing this outside. I'm thinking in these terms, I'm witnessing myself. Um, so this is alive, whether or not I'm teaching you or talking to you on a podcast like I am now, or whether or not I'm going about my life, this is still the same kind of framework that I'm embodying. So it's a natural extension. And I actually am very pleased when people like to hear what I have to say. I love that. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of yours and have been for quite some time. So it's a real honor for me to actually be asking you these kinds of questions. Now's the time to get to your book. So you've got this exciting book coming out, which is actually quite thick. So there's a lot, lot to it. Uh, how to do the work, recognize your patterns, heal from your past. There it is. She's holding it up for those people that are listening, which is awesome to see and create yourself. Now, if I was to pick up the book firstly and turn to any chapter or any page in the book, which one would you recommend that I turn to that I get the most impactful message in it? And I'm sure the whole book is impactful, but for me in particular, which one would you recommend? Chapter one. And the reason why I put chapter one right up at the front, it's actually called You Are Your Best Healer. Um, in my opinion, that's one of the most empowering messages um, that for a lot of us isn't the message that we've come to believe over time. A lot of us, if you're like myself even, have learned to outsource our knowing. That intuition, we look outside of ourselves for an indication or for the answer um, from someone else or some other entity. So in my opinion, that's the most empowering shift in terms of our belief the fact that we can embody ourselves and begin to rely more on ourselves, And that's only seconded by then going into how to begin to change, which is beginning to build that foundational base of consciousness. So once we can empower ourselves that change is possible, right? We want to open the door to living the experience of creating change, because in my opinion, that's wisdom. Life experience, doing it for ourselves, is sometimes what's, what allows us to make that shift in belief. I know that was the case for me. I didn't believe it. I could have read book upon book, Jay, of other people doing it. And there was still a part of me that reserved the opportunity for me to be the exception. So it took me showing myself through lived action that, wait a minute, we can change beliefs. We can create and heal from our past and create a future that's different because I'm doing it. Do you get vulnerable, like really, really vulnerable in the book? And was that actually challenging, a challenging decision for you to actually make, okay, I want to get vulnerable in this book? I have been sharing aspects of my own healing journey since I created that Instagram account. Mm. Um, and each and every time I do share parts of my story, there's, of course, vulnerability there. And this applies, I know this sounds maybe even silly to acknowledge, this applies even me just acknowledging my own history and my own experiences to myself before I put it on Instagram in front of however many viewing eyes. And for a lot of us, that's the initial stage of the journey is becoming intimately aware with all of all that is us um, and not shaming ourselves, and not tamping it down and not telling ourselves that it's unworthy to be expressed in the way that it is. So for me, a lot of the work of telling a truth 
begins here, begins by telling myself the truth and allowing all of the feelings that are wrapped up around that truth to be before then I vulnerably share it. So yes, in my book, um, I share certain aspects of my own past experiences. And of course, as they translate into my own healing journey, um, the exercise of putting it in print in a book, of rethinking it, of retelling it, of rereading it every time, as you know, you have to edit a book, um, which is quite intensive. Every time I read that, for a lot of the occasions, it was reliving it again. It was all of the feelings, the harder ones wrapped up around living that experience because they come alive as if it's right here, right now, when my mom said that thing or did that thing. And then obviously also I make space for the positive, for how I feel about how far I've now come. So a lot of feelings have, have come in the process for me of writing, of editing the book. And now on the heels of it releasing into the world and being in the world, um, having other people with their hands on it and knowing that they're going to see very intimate aspects of myself, of my family. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's a lot of feelings that that are are wrapped up in, in the whole book experience. So having said all that, why in the world write a book in the first? <laughs> why the hell would you do it? Good question. Yeah. No, I kid, I kid. Um, I, I believe that a book is really helpful while you'll always hear me singing the praises of social media and you'll always likely see me on there. Again, for me, it's the equalized access point where these messages can be translated globally now to people who might not have um, the privilege or the access to some of this. Um, I also understood its limitations. I get one square, I get one caption. You know, a lot of these topics are a full story, um, do need to be told as such. So when I went online, um, again, with the intention really being, can I create a space where I can stand in my truth as an exercise, mainly in my own healing, because I was not used to doing that. As soon as I began to see how universal some of this stuff I was talking about was, I, I really began to understand the need or my desire really to have this as a book. A book is something we can live with, we can take away, we can pick up, we can put down. Um, and another aspect of the book that I was very intentional around um, was making sure that it wasn't just a book. Mm -hmm. It was making sure that at the end of each chapter, I talked about or I, I illustrated how to translate the concepts in that chapter into daily action because that was the bridge that I kept noticing I myself wasn't able to consistently cross, nor were my clients. Incredible amounts of insight, maybe even awareness of these concepts and an inability to translate that. So I kind of think of my book and I hope it to be more like a handbook um, of healing. I'm curious, what would you say has in, in your life, what would you say is your greatest achievement? Would you say it's your book? or something else? I think my greatest achievement is my healing, is me, is the person mm -hmm. that I'm continuing to embody and show up in. Um, the book, the Instagram, all of the work that I'll continue to put out into the world is a byproduct of my own evolution. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that'll probably remain my answer. I'm, I'm ultimately grateful at the byproduct and and the empowerment that I'm hoping that all of that offers other people. Um, but if I were to talk about my achievement, I think it's just me. Mm. Mm. That's powerful.
And what would you say has been the worst piece of advice you've ever received from someone over your life? So I have a, a really haunting piece of advice, actually, that I got from um, who was going to be a dissertation chair of mine when I was in graduate school. So I worked a lot in the in the substance abuse field. I was really I'm really connected to that work. I really enjoyed working in inpatient units and outpatient units. And very similarly to my own experience that I shared earlier of boredom, mm -hmm. um, I began to see that and hear that boredom was cited a lot as a trigger for substance use. And lo and behold, at the New School for Social Research, I happened to have a professor that was studying boredom. So I had also discovered um, that the concept of mindfulness or the practice of being present in the moment. And I got interested in marrying those two concepts. And I came up with which what I thought was a really great creative dissertation project that I presented where I wanted to study the effects of mindfulness-based um, training. Um, on substance use behaviors in particular. And I was advised at that time to hang up my clinical hat on studying mindfulness, that it was of no clinical utility, and that a better project would be just focusing on the personality structure of the boredom-prone individual. More or less, that was the suggestion I was given. I was, of course, devastated and confused because in my intuition, in my soul, if you will, I had, I had a knowing that this idea what mindfulness is, is consciousness. It's, it's focused in the now. Um, I had an idea that that was important and I, I wasn't supported at that moment in time. Um, if I'm honest, I didn't begin my own consciousness practice either at that moment in time. I studied something else for my dissertation though. I think that was not a great piece of advice. Um, I think that what I was really realizing if we wanna go deeper in, in the field at that moment, I think the realization I was having was on the need to actually create change, was to help people get better um, through action, through doing something differently. And I think maybe intuitively, I was starting to question how successful um, the older model was. And I was trying to find a way out, um, though, again, I, I wasn't supported at that time. And I'm so glad that you didn't take the advice <laughs> because like, look at what you've been able to achieve right now. And it's kind of like, you know, stuff you for giving me that piece of advice. I, think <laughs> I, I received a, a similar piece of advice was basically give up. Like you're not, you're not worthy of doing this. You're never going to be worthy of it. So just stop. And the interesting thing for me, if I had have taken, there's a funny saying, it's like, don't waste your time on a dead duck. And I was just like, what the hell does that mean? And basically he was telling me once again, to just spend my time on things that are more valuable, but I pushed through. I, I, I was persistent as heck. I persevered. And as a result, I ended up with this, this great relationship with a couple that uh, I ended up selling the house to. Like, it was just like this, if I had given up, I wouldn't have had that experience at all. So I love, I love your story, how you, you didn't give up, you kept going and look at where you are now. So um, congratulations on everything that you have achieved over the years and you've helped so many people, including myself uh, over, over the years. So I want to acknowledge that um, before going on to the next bit. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and like I said, um, I, 
why I do this is, is to share so that some person can feel, you know, either a little more knowing of why they're struggling in the ways that they are. Cause I believe that they're always, you know, is, is a reason um, in a sense that we're, we're not, we're not born broken. None of us are. Um, and that reason can be changed. Um, so if I can be a voice of empowerment for even one person, if my story, if my work, like I said, on my greatest accomplishment, which is just me now showing up, talking about what I like to talk about, um, which I'm talking about anyway, if that can empower one other human, I feel like I've done a good job. Mm. This next bit that I want to talk about, I want you to speak freely, openly, because it is, it is a difficult topic to speak about. I know for me at least, but I want to help the audience because we all struggle with this trauma. And I've heard you speak about it quite a few times and you've done quite, I believe, extensive research on it. And one of the questions for me that I wanted to ask you is, have you ever struggled with trauma? And what do you believe is the worst form of trauma that someone can experience? I appreciate you asking me. And and again, if you would have spoken to me up through my 20s, um, I would have said, no, I, I have not experienced trauma. Um, even in the field, uh, it indicated as much in the nineties in the psychological field, uh, a scale it's called the ACEs scale of first childhood experiences, um, was created and began to study essentially the effects of childhood trauma into adulthood, specifically around physical medical conditions and psychological conditions as well, symptoms. And essentially, so when we're studying trauma, we have to define trauma. Mm. And at that time, Trauma was defined, as some of us might have heard it referred to, as the big T of trauma. Um, instances of physical abuse or neglect, sexual abuse. Um, I believe some other questions are around having a parent who's actively incarcerated or who is in an active addiction. Mm. Uh, or And one is who is diagnosed with a mental illness. So when I took that scale, I stored, scored a one, which is quite low. Um, and I think that one in captures 60 to 70% of the population. So that was really confusing for me because here I am now having a clinically validated scale, Jay, that tells me that nothing happened to me at all. Mm. Yet I worked by that time I was working in inpatient units and substance abuse facilities with people who were scoring beyond 10, right? Really, really high. Yet I was seeing in the same habits and patterns and coping mechanisms, very similar presentation. So then I began to, once I questioned what was wrong with me, why am I struggling so much when nothing quote unquote bad happened, I really began to explore and dive into childhood and other, you know, much often consistent circumstances and experiences that we live that can result in the same either nervous system dysregulation that's often a part of the trauma experience, even after it. We continue to stay in that state of nervous system dysregulation and or all of the other habits and patterns and coping mechanisms that are born out of the same traumatizing experiences. So I believe, and I speak of a much more what I call expanded definition um, that I think can explain the rest of us, all of us that didn't have those big glaring things yet are still struggling in very similar ways. So to specifically answer your question, because I think it's important to to, to verbally say this, I don't believe in a trauma being worse than another trauma. Mm -hmm. um, I speak more of the individual effects that our experiences have on us 
honoring our uniqueness, honoring that a lot has to do with how are we perceiving it? What supports do we have available to us or not? And a million other factors that can't really be as simplified as ranking trauma. And I get really disheartened when I do see um, that kind of contingency of my trauma is worse than yours. All trauma is, is carries negative effects. And it's really our own individual journey to unpack it and to explore what those effects may or may not be. And the reason why I, I have concern over kind of uh, hierarchical trauma is because those of us that are on the bottom end of it do begin to shame ourselves, do begin to explain away and think that I don't have the right to feel as I do. And that can keep us just as stuck. Mm. There's an undeniable link between trauma, belief, purpose, and knowing who you are and where you want to be in life. Because I know for me, and I appreciate you sharing all this because trauma is trauma. And I did a, a study when I was in university for only like a semester. Uh, there's a whole story behind that. But I did a study uh, on trauma and I found some very, I guess you could say disheartening facts that sort of made me realize we need to do more in this area. There's so much to trauma that we don't yet fully understand, but then there's also a lot that we do understand that we need to get out to the public a lot more because there's so many people out there that are struggling with it. And I know firsthand from my own journey, what happened with me, uh, and I'm only 24, so I'm not that old. And I know what it did to me uh, from the age of six, you know, the sexual abuse that I experienced at six. And I had a conversation with um, Dr. Edith Egger, who's a beautiful, beautiful woman. I remember sharing the sexual abuse for the first time during that interview, opening up. And what she said to me after it was very interesting. Now she's, for those people that know her, she's been through horrendous atrocities in, in, in the world. But she said to me, the moment that I experienced that sort of trauma, my childhood ended. And for a lot of young people that do experience trauma at a young age, their childhood has ended there because what happens and this is what happened to me. My brain created this cloud. I call it living in a daze and it, it sheltered me from that, that abuse, that, that pain. So I didn't have to remember it, but everything else after it leading up to it was just protecting myself even more. So I would get these, these flashbacks and I didn't think they were real. So I started subduing them even more. So I was running away from the pain more and more. And I feel like that's what a lot of people actually do. They mask the pain, they mask the trauma. And then even when like later on in my teens, experiencing physical abuse, uh, verbal abuse, neglect, uh, being told that I'm not worth anything and I will never be anything. Like all these things, they form a catalyst and eventually it just, explodes and it exploded recently so i i'm always curious with from a psychological point of view what actually happens to a person's brain 
when they experience trauma in a, in a more in-depth version and what also happens to the body. Yeah, thank you, Jay, for sharing all that. Again, very vulnerably with me and with everyone. Um, so trauma impacts the brain and the body. It lives in our cells. Um, and you really said something leading into sharing your story that's really poignant here. Um, when you, you know, speaking of purpose, just really tying this whole conversation together, being connected to self, living in purpose, spontaneously feeling safe enough to self-express, all of that actually maps on to a physiological state of receptivity, to mm -hmm. a brainwave state, to a nervous system state. We have to be in what is called our rest and digest nervous system. We have to be in a peaceful, calm, centered place, safe first to be able to open up to things like connection, intrinsic, and, and our passion and our purpose and curiosity and all of that other forward thinking stuff, mm. that's actually mapped onto our body. And when we experience a trauma, whether it was the cataclysmic moment that you were sharing when you were younger and then other moments, or those very consistent moments that just accumulate of not feeling seen, not feeling worthy, not feeling you know, understood the more emotional, spiritual events that affect us, what it is doing, it's, it's mapping on in our brain. Mm. And that cloud you described is likely a state of nervous system activation where our sympathetic nervous system is doing as it has evolved to do in service of keeping us safe, not only from the right physical threat in our environment, from the imagined one, from the emotional threat to our sense of self. Yeah. So that fogginess you, you're feeling when we're fighting, fleeing, or freezing, or fawning, the nervous system states, which for some of us become our way of being, mm. actually prevent us from being, I don't know if you're familiar, any listeners have ever heard the work of Abraham Maslow and the pyramid and evolving to self-actualization. Well, I formulated my own, um, which is a really simplified one where essentially it acknowledges the base need for our physical body to be in that regulated state, for mm. our nervous system to spend more of its time in that parasympathetic mode, to acknowledge that stress happens and I can activate into my sympathetic nervous system to keep myself safe, yet I then go back. Mm. And then once we're in that safer space, then we can evolve into all of these higher order things that we want to be focusing on, planning for the future, being in creative to our creative space, living in purpose. So again, back to my disempowered place, right? Working in that old model, a big reason was because I was working and I was a human who physiologically couldn't be mm. self-actualized, couldn't be, I wasn't safe enough to be fully in that authenticity. Mm. Um, so yes, trauma impacts our brain. It affects our biology. We lay down those neural circuits where we get really good at, like you said, pushing those memories down. I got really good at living in my spaceship and all of this lays down in the neural networks, right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. All of that happens and it does impact down our physiology and our physiology feeds back up, keeping us stuck in those loops. Mm -hmm. And also like, I want to second that and I appreciate you sharing it because it makes a lot of sense. And more so like, for people, you got to understand that also affects your gut, like your gut microbiome, everything that's in here 
it really, really impacts. So you feel those, I guess those, those pains that you feel that's most likely due to trauma. I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it's most likely because that's what happened to me as well. I'm not saying it's going to happen to everybody, but it happened to me. And each time that I went through a difficult or challenge, then the first thing was my gut. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep, couldn't do anything. And that's where I realized, hang on a minute, I need to get some help. I need to get, uh, figure some things out. And it was like a combination of things, Nicole. It was like going to see a psychologist. And the second thing was also focusing on, on me and loving myself and, and understanding that I am worthy and I, I am made with a purpose. So yeah, it's a big topic and I appreciate you, you sharing everything. And, um, where can people just two more quick final questions because I am mindful of your time. Where can people find your book, buy it, uh, connect with you the most and, and learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I spend most of my time on Instagram where it all began uh, at psychologist. Like I said, that platform is really near and dear to me. Um, will always be something that I engage with, not only to continue to get this content out there where I'm sharing tools, sharing my own journey, sharing other stories of other community members, but there's also the amazing community. Um, we have a very active community of self-healers, other humans from literally around the world um, that get it, that might be where your, your safety is, might be where your healing and supportive relationships are. So you'll never hear me stop. You'll never hear me not talk about the Instagram account. So it's the.holistic.psychologist. Um, in the link tree of that account, I have a good handful of all of the different places to uh, purchase the book, which will release into the world here in the U.S. at least March 9th, and then internationally following um, I do have a lot of international publishers links up there as well. So anyone listening who would prefer to get the book in perhaps their native tongue, there is a very likely chance that there is that available to you. Um, so all of that is in the Instagram. My website, um, which is getting revamped and will be rolling out with a nice new look in the very near future is yourholisticpsychologist.com. So anyone who plans on purchasing the book can also pop on there. I have a couple meditations, free guided meditations that go along with chapters of the book, as well as information on my self-healer circle, which is the paid membership where each and every month um, we get together and we really deep dive into a topic of healing where myself and other experts come in and give workshops and Q and A's. And again, we have a really great community of circle members in there. And then finally, a new, another new look coming uh, on the YouTube channel. So some listeners might have met me through my Sunday weekly YouTube videos. Um, they've stopped for the past couple of weeks, again, while we're revamping the YouTube channel, uh, The Holistic Psychologist, um, though they will start back up soon as well. And similarly, I put out weekly content there in a slightly different video format. So come join the YouTube community. You have a lot going on, which is very, very exciting. Uh, can't wait to see all the changes happening for you. Um, is my final question for you. This is my all-time favorite question that I ask all my guests at the end as well. So it's a hypothetical one. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you 
of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it. We'll call it magic for the sake of an argument. They've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Actually, I think I'm going to answer this possibly in a, a might be a non-traditional way. Um, I would actually prefer that film not to be about me and my life at all. What I would prefer to see from my loved ones and even maybe people I don't know is what they've done, um, how they've created their own healing in their life and the amazing things that their purpose and passion have gone on to do. Um, that's what I, I find myself lit up most about, um, less about me and more about the change that continues to be created in the world. Um, I think all of us know that we're at a time of, of a change, to say the least, in a lot of different ways. Um, I happen to want to retain hope around that. And I believe that the more of us that show up authentically, that share our stories, that put our purpose and passion into the world, however the impact may ripple out, will be an impact. So that film, um, I would prefer to see all of the amazing life um, that people will now live because they've empowered themselves to create it. I still watch it. I think it'd be a powerful film to see. Um, that's, what I see that, that's why I think a, a big reason why I'm always singing singing the compliments of the self-healers community. I mean, there are so many days, Jay, where I just go into those comments where I just read um, the impact and people's lives and, and what change that they are empowering themselves to make. I'm not showing up each and every day to do that. Maybe I was the portal, right? I kicked the door open a bit. They're doing it. Um, so when I need my daily dose of empowerment or, uh, you know, of, of positivity or of motivation to keep going, I'm always tapping into that. Because um, like I said, that empowers me to keep going, knowing that there's someone else that now will be impacted because this human on the other side is a little bit different. That keeps me sharing my truth, even when it's the most difficult. Mm. I feel like it's a great way to end that conversation. Dr. Nicole LaPera, thank you so much for your wisdom, your energy, your light, everything that you're doing and putting out there into the world. Can't wait to get my hands on a copy of your book. Thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay, for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 